0: Uncle Walter's Year of Wonder July Hey, how are you? Nice to see you again. Come on up to the porch and take the weight off your feet. July has come, hauling the gold-laden sun, heavy with heat. Hot, isn't it? I love the warmth of summer, though the days can get relentless and the nights can be stifling. It's also the fireworks time of year, the time of unbridled celebration of this country's birthday. But, what with the booze mixed with those fireworks... Plus, the constant threat of mischief in the air as everyone rejoices in their right to do whatever the hell they want, I do sometimes feel a little uneasy about it all. And when you're uneasy, you find yourself thinking. And when things got too unpredictably boisterous for me, I would often take myself off to think by the lake. The great Lake Huron, which had its birthday way before America claimed title to the land, It was by the lake I found myself one mid-July evening with a group of friends by the shore. We had been hanging together since school had ended. The excitement of the 4th of July celebrations had dissipated and as usual, we were trying to stave off the boredom harbored by the long summer holidays. There was Thomas, the self-appointed leader, Julie and Ed who were in the same grade and also Francesca a petite girl of Italian descent who seemed exotic to us, as she could actually speak Italian. Well, it was very hot, even with the breeze off the lake. Thomas was telling me about all the plans he had for summer, and Julie and Ed were talking and giggling. Francesca was looking in the shallow water for semi-precious stones or jules, as she called the small pieces of smooth, lake worn glass. But then she stopped. Look, she said, and pointed at the edge of a large wooden box sticking out of the sand. Maybe it's treasure, said Thomas, rushing over and starting to dig at it. But it took less than a minute to realize it was just an old wooden storage box missing its bottom. Thomas threw the box into the lake. I know where something good is buried, he said. It's way out the back of my uncle's place he showed me where a neighbor buried his old 1962 lincoln continental why the heck did he do that said julie because it was easier and cheaper than doing anything else with it said thomas as if it was obvious why anyone would bury a 1962 lincoln continental but he wasn't the only one who did that thomas went on they used to bury all sorts of stuff hell I heard of one old couple who knocked down their house and buried it. Furniture and all. I bet if we dug around that area, we could find all kinds of stuff. Maybe real treasure, or at least something we could sell. Ed asked where his uncle's place was. Thomas explained that it was out past the hills, as we called it. We all stood for a moment and looked at each other. We all knew the area he meant, and it was the kind of place that most people had a story about. And not a good one. "'That's where my brother and his friends saw that big creature out in the woods while they were watching TV,' said Julie. "'It came up right close to the window, much taller than a man, but it couldn't have got there so quick. "'One minute in the woods—' "'Next by the house? Wham-bam! Thank you, Mama!' "'Maybe it was a bear,' Ed added, but sounding a little unnerved. "'There are no bears out there, stupid,' said Francesca. "'My grandma says there are things like that near her house, too. "'She never goes out after dark. I don't think we should go out there,' she said. "'We all knew about Francesca's grandmother.' "'She had come over from Italy as a teenager "'and had longed to go back ever since to her homeland. "'My grandma believed that there are two worlds here, "'in America, unlike back in Europe,' Francesca said, "'and she put on a voice, which I can't really do that well. "'But what the heck? "'Her grandmother had said that, "'In Europe, we know our past. "'The land holds the history.' Stories are handed down over thousands of years, and even though countries invaded other countries and were themselves invaded many times, the cultures were joined, never completely destroyed. We know where our ghosts are buried. But here in the United States, it's not like that at all. Why do you think that there is so much paranoia in the countryside? Because, the ghosts of the world that was taken still live there still come knocking and no one from the new false world understands what it is that is haunting them the old world never went away francesca said it is still there running alongside this false world the invaders brought with them that new world which felt like nothing but a terrible dream which gave rise to a mirage of plastic-clad houses and sold to strip malls with neon lights to distract you from the real world that is still there, forever suffering, forever grieving, forever watching. We all looked around at each other, except Francesca, who stared at the ground. "'Well, I say we should still go,' said Thomas. "'Beat's finding nothing here on the beach. "'Anyone got any better plans?' "'Your granny never liked it here anyway,' said Ed, chiming in. "'She's old and unhappy. "'I say we should go, too.'" Julie wasn't sure and sided with Francesca over not going. So everyone then looked at me for the casting vote. I didn't particularly care either way, but I was bored, and maybe there was some treasure of a fashion to be found. Let's go, I said, and Francesca looked at me with a resignation that had me wondering if I made the right decision. It was hotter inland, humid, After 30 minutes of cycling, we all sweated. Eventually, we came to the hills. Up until that point, we had been talking, but as we pedaled up a curved incline, the trees thickened on each side, and we were all quiet. I wanted to believe it was because we were all getting tired, but something else made me uneasy the rest of the way to his uncle's place. The property stretched back some quarter mile to a line of trees, We left our bikes by the house while Thomas checked in with his uncle to ask the exact location of the abandoned Lincoln's grave. Once we reached the line of trees, we saw the descent of about 120 feet to the ground below. Not too steep, but a slope you had to take care on. "'You sure you know where it is?' said Ed. "'Yeah, I know,' said Thomas." The guy just rolled it down the hill, not far from here. I hoped he was right. It didn't seem like anyone had been down here for a long time. As we all stepped forward into the trees, the humidity increased. We were looking for an easy route down when I saw a cat sitting near the edge of the trees, not far from where we came in. Hey, kitty, I said, walking up to it. What are you doing out here? The cat purred as it let me stroke it. The fur was velvet to touch, a mixture of peach, tan, and brown. And it looked straight back at me, its eyes the color of polished almond shells. The others came over and made a fuss of it. Only Thomas didn't pet it. Let's get going, he said. As we descended, so the cat followed. It moved nimble and graceful, pulling ahead, then waiting for us to catch up before taking off again. Ah, it's so cute,' said Julie. "'It's like having our own little guardian angel with us "'because we don't know where we are going.'" Thomas insisted he did know, but Francesca stopped. The cat noticed and went back to her. "'Why would we need some sort of guardian angel down here, "'unless... There was something we needed protecting from. Just follow the cat, said Ed, and we did. The cat always found the best way down, showing us a path through fallen tree trunks and branches. At the bottom, the trees thinned out. Thomas took the lead, and we all followed, including the cat, until we came to the spot he believed the car to be buried. Here, he said. As he pushed a shovel into the ground, a metallic sound signified he had indeed found the treasure. After a few minutes of digging, it was apparent that we had a lot of rusted 1962 Lincoln Continental on our hands, and very little else. The cat sat washing itself on a tree stump a few yards away, uninterested in our actions. "'We gotta keep digging,' said Thomas." now sweatier than before, none of us wanting to dig. "'What's that over there?' said Julie, who had been walking around making patterns in the earth with her shovel. About fifty yards away there was a clearing. We all walked over. The closer we got, we could tell that the clearing was circular, too perfect to have been natural. The trees that were closest to it had scant leaf cover, despite it being the middle of summer.' and what leaves were on the ground had decayed. And now we could see that within this clearing was the remains of what can only be described as an earthen wall, with a sloped side, about four feet in height, and circular like the clearing. Sections had crumbled away and were missing, but there was no doubt that at one time this had been a complete circle, We stared on, our silence broken by Francesca. "'Look!' she hollered. We turned immediately. "'The cat!' Some fifty yards back, the cat remained sat on the tree stump. "'What about the damn cat?' said Thomas. "'It's not followed us,' Francesca continued. "'We shouldn't go any further. It knows something.' "'Don't be ridiculous.' said Thomas, and he walked over to the small earth wall with Ed following him. I didn't go with Thomas and Ed. I watched as they approached the circle, keeping one eye on the cat, and then Ed stopped too. Come on, said Thomas. I'm going to roll down the slope. Come back, said Francesca. Don't go in there. But Thomas didn't listen. He climbed onto the bank and rolled down the other side, all four foot of it. He stood back up quick, gave a goofy smile, and threw out his arms as if he'd performed some amazing gymnastic move. And then his face turned pale. He started to convulse, his whole body jerking this way and that. I thought he was joking, but as it went on for far longer than would have been funny, I knew he wasn't joking at all. The cat meowed a single long wail. Thomas started to shout, still convulsing, Get off me! Get off me! Get off me! And then Thomas fell to the ground. I instinctively ran towards him, but the moment I put one foot on the earth bank, a cold chill ran through my leg as if I had stepped into icy water. I pulled back, but I was close enough that I could see over. Thomas lay on the ground. He was quaking, and he was turning blue. No, 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 said Francesca, now in tears. I jumped in, calling Ed to come with me, despite Francesca pleading with us to stay. It wasn't the same field of ice anymore, but the temperature was so much colder than it should have been. We dragged him out of the circle and laid him a good 20 foot from it. Thomas, can you hear me? I yelled. Julie was rubbing his hands and took off her t-shirt to try and cover his chest to warm him. Francesca, Ed, go get help, I said. As they turned and left, it was clear none of us knew the way out. But the cat, who had not moved from the tree stump all this time, came to greet them and, even though it sounds crazy to say it, I'm sure that cat knew the way to go. I took off my own shirt and wrapped it around Thomas. Then... Julie and me dragged him further away from the circle. We shook him, but he didn't respond. He just shivered, as if all the cold in the world had entered into him and had no intention of leaving. Without talking, we both lay down next to him, hoping our body heat would enter into him. And as we lay there, I felt a wave of cold air ripple over me. I could feel myself wanting to cry without having the slightest idea why. I held it in, scared by the increasing power of the waves that and what felt like untethered grief engulfed me. I floundered as if submerged into a depth of sadness I never knew existed. Taken to some place I simply did not want to go. I clenched my teeth, fighting the torrents. Then I heard tiny sobs coming from Julie, one she was unable to contain. Then I finally gave in. Within seconds, the pair of us shook as Thomas shook, not with the cold, but with whatever surged through us forcing rivers of tears to flow like the flood after a thaw. Julie reached for my hand and we both simply cried as if this was our only purpose in life from now on and that this purpose would never cease. I still can't explain it. I can guess. But it seemed like we sobbed for an age before Thomas's uncle, accompanied by Francesca and the cat, picked Thomas up and carried him up the slope. Thomas' face still looked an unnatural white shade for July, but at least his eyes were open now. We got to the top and stepped out to the trees to the edge of the field, and Ed was waiting for us, and paramedics had arrived. Ed hadn't wanted to come back down. I didn't blame him. We answered the paramedic's questions and saw Thomas off into the ambulance. I looked around, but I could no longer see the cat. I felt sick. I wanted to say something to it. I don't know what. I didn't think it was a coincidence it had greeted us and stayed with us, even though it sounds crazy to say it now. Thomas was a changed kid after the event. A scan had showed nothing unusual, and his blood work came back normal. They couldn't find out what had caused this seizure. Nothing inside of him indicated what the problem was. But those of us who had witnessed Thomas that day knew that it wasn't anything on the inside of him that had caused it, but something from the outside of him. He barely spoke to anyone and never went out. Quiet in the classroom, he looked like he was proverbially scared of his own shadow, or I guess whatever he now knew was lurking in those shadows. Oh, and Thomas also wore gloves most days to hide the missing fingertips, two on his left hand and three on his right he lost them to frostbite that day. Yeah, frostbite in July. There was no medical explanation for the frostbite either, but I remembered the paramedics who took him that day talk with confusion about hypothermia and symptoms of such a condition. But no one ever mentioned that again, not us, not the doctors, nor any parent. It was buried. You don't know what you'll unearth if you go digging, Francesca's grandmother reminded us one day that summer when we were all gathered for homemade pasta, although not Thomas, of course. And you won't be ready for what you find, slavery, genocide, war humanity's three greatest evils. That's what this nation is founded on. All that needless suffering doesn't just go away. Such violence makes for a lot of angry spirits seeking justice. None of your preppings and constitutions are ever going to protect you from them. And speaking of spirits, Would you like a quick one for the road? Just a small one. Nothing to impair your driving. But maybe it will help take the edge off those feelings you have out at night, when you're not sure if it's shadows or something else moving in the field, or that something could possibly be watching you. Just so you know, something probably is. Enjoy the rest of July with its long, warm days to keep you safe. For now. Take care out there, please. I'll see you again soon. You have been listening to Marty Garavaglia as Uncle Walter. The show was written and produced by Daniel Williams. Uncle Walter's Year of Wonder is a Huron City radio show for Albion Fields Productions.